Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My Lutheran and Episcopalian colleagues don't use sermon titles. It's just not their practice, and sometimes I envy them. Taking a second look at it, I wonder if today's sermon title isn't maybe a bit much. But here's where it comes from. In planning worship for this season of Lent this year, I asked myself, how is this season a time of preparation for Easter? What might we do to prepare ourselves to most thoroughly receive the good news of new life, the good news of hope against all odds? There are many possible answers to that question, but this year I'm focusing on the idea that we all have stuff inside us that gets in the way of a most thorough openness to God's good news. I'm focusing on confession as the way we have those honest conversations with God about that stuff that gets in the way. Looking through all the scriptures assigned in the lectionary calendar for this year's Lenten season, I was struck by what difficult passages we are handed. Each week, there are one or more passages that are confrontational, or hard to swallow, or distasteful, or painful. And this is what led to this theme of confession for this year. Oh, and this week. This week, there was so very much to choose from. So very much that was difficult or unpleasant in our lectionary scriptures. Most of you know that I rarely focus on more than one scripture passage in any given sermon. But this week there was just too much that fit with this theme of messy stuff in need of clearing out. So I'm going to attempt to take a look at it all. Here's a quick tour through this morning's passages. We begin at the beginning in the book of Genesis... A shallow reading suggests a lovely passage about God's steadfastness and God's eagerness to be in covenant with us. God promises Abram, the descendants of Abram, that he truly wants. And God promises Abram a land to inhabit, which will be a homeland for Abram's descendants. That's lovely. But we don't have to look very far to see the underbelly of this passage. At the forefront is Abram's cold rejection of his eldest son, Ishmael, just because Ishmael was born to one of his slaves and not to Abram's wife, Sarai. And then there's the land. The second problem with this text is the land God promised to Abram. The land God told Abram to possess, which was already inhabited by somebody else. The land was inhabited by Canaanites. Some of us grew up learning about manifest destiny in history classes. The idea that white Christian Americans had some divine obligation to settle the West. One contributing factor to this was the religious fervor of the Second Great Awakening and the racist perception of Native Americans as heathens. The United States Supreme Court affirmed what is called the Discovery Doctrine, which essentially said that European nations or the United States had the right to establish sovereignty 
over nations of indigenous peoples, essentially on the grounds that Europeans and Americans were superior, and this superiority gave them the right of sovereignty. Scholar Stephen Paul McSloy writes on the 1823 Supreme Court decision Johnson versus McIntosh. The whole article is excellent, but here's just a few sentences. McSloy writes, How is it that in 1823, when Johnson versus McIntosh was written, a time when less than one quarter to one third of the United States was settled and hundreds of Indian nations lived free and independent, that the discovery doctrine was already so firmly entrenched in the Western legal tradition that Chief Justice John Marshall was merely applying it, not inventing it. He continues on, the answer is because the land of Canaan was inhabited. When Abraham began the long march of civilization ever westward, leaving Ur of the Chaldees to go west across the river Jordan to Canaan, he, like Marshall, needed a reason for dispossessing the Canaanites who lived there. The reason, according to the Bible, was that God had given the land to Abraham's people, the Canaanites notwithstanding. This quote, this article, comes from a law review, not a journal of biblical study, not a a theological writing. Surely, the strains of superiority we find in our religious tradition are something to repent and confess. Moving on to our reading from Paul's letter to the new church community in Philippi, we find Paul passing judgment on those he labels as enemies of the cross. Paul states that their destiny is destruction. This text is too often used by Christians to pass judgment on non-Christians, so we need to read it with a healthy dose of skepticism. It actually isn't entirely clear who Paul is referring to in this passage. People have interpreted it to mean non-Christians or those who were in opposition to the Christian movement in Paul's day. People have referred it have interpreted it to refer to apathetic Christians, and people have interpreted it to refer to people motivated by materialism or gluttony, based on Paul's description that their God is their belly, and that their minds are set on earthly things. Then finally, we come to our gospel reading for the day. Jesus is speaking of Jerusalem, seeming to address Jerusalem, We know that Jerusalem was the worship center for the Jews, the home of the temple. Jerusalem is often used to symbolize the whole of Israel, sort of the way we would say Washington to uh, refer to our federal government. We know that throughout the biblical tradition, Jerusalem is often at the heart of the Israelite and then Jewish people's struggles to be faithful and their occasions of falling short. So perhaps Jesus is speaking here to a whole people. And what we find are disturbingly violent images for Jerusalem's rejection of God or God's ways or the ones God sends. Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Here we also find Jesus' deeply compassionate longing. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. 
So today is a fine day to reflect on the theme of this Lenten season as we see arrogant superiority and passing of judgment and human violence all reflected in our scriptures for the day. Sometimes what we find in the Bible points to a need for confession. We confess the potential for harm found in our biblical texts, and we confess the misuse of such theologies in our tradition, in the history of our religious tradition. We confess that the violence reflected in the scripture is real and is something we recognize as part of the human condition still today. As 21st century Christians, part of our call is to be honest about the problems in our scriptural tradition and our theological traditions and play our part in righting those wrongs. And still, the question for Christians when we read the Bible is always, what does this have to do with my life? What does this have to teach me about me in this time and place? And as is so often the case, our scriptures have applications that are both communal or corporate and also individual. Abram's compelling desire to have something that belonged to him and his family is not so far removed from something we know. I think it's very contemporary and perhaps particularly American to believe that our security is tied up in our land, as it was for Abram, or rather tied up in the things we possess. Our home gives us a sense of security, maybe our furniture, our cars. And when it comes to sharing, we get pretty insecure. Whether we're talking about kids embracing the word mine, as they do at a certain age, or adults afraid that immigrants will take what we think are our jobs, or our societal benefits, or will change our communities. Paul's condemnation of these so-called enemies of the cross is painfully lacking in open-mindedness or compassion. But we ourselves are all guilty at some point or another of labeling someone as other and rejecting or judging them. And many of us are also guilty of harsh internal voices, labeling some parts of ourselves as unacceptable. We can all learn from the self-examination of considering who and what we label as enemy and how we might transform that judgment into compassion. And our final reading brings us Jesus' lament. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. With every ounce of his being, Jesus wants to gather us in, protectively, lovingly. And sometimes we turn away from the embrace he offers, just as people did then. But in the face of our rejection, in the face of any of our failings, any of the sins we confess, Jesus reminds us of his longing to draw us close. Jesus invites us into restored relationship again and again. So we wrestle with difficult challenges found in our scriptures. And we wrestle with our own shortcomings. And in this season, in particular, 
We try to clear the air. We contemplate and confess our shortcomings in the hopes of clearing out new space in our hearts, our spirits, and our lives, space left open to make room for the new life found in Christ's resurrection. We are on this journey because we are headed for Easter. The possible heaviness of the Lenten season, the heaviness of taking a good hard look at where we mess up, is lightened by our constant awareness of God's grace, of God's unconditional and unending love, God's guarantee of forgiveness. All the difficulty of wrestling with our failures and struggling to return to God happens in the context of grace. We make our confession because we want to open ourselves again and again to God's abundant love. Amen.